Hey, Afronauts, I'm Chelsea Gaydon. I'm Jill Too. And I'm Beatrice Eicher. And we're your hosts for this episode of The Hero's Journey, where we sit down with Black writers in the speculative fiction space. Our hero today is Karen Strong. Karen is the author of middle grade novels, Just South of Home and Eden's Everdark. She is the editor of the forthcoming young adult anthology, Cool, Awkward, Black. And she has also written short fiction for Star Wars and other award-winning anthologies. Thanks for joining us today, Karen. Thanks for having me, y'all. I am a fan of this podcast, so it's a pleasure to be here. We love to hear it. Thank you. And we're a fan of you, so this is going to be great. (laughs) Um, Well, your upcoming middle grade Southern Gothic, Eden's Everdark, uh, has been described as deliciously creepy and haunting. But it is a middle grade, so I'm just curious how you strike that balance between being sufficiently eerie and being age appropriate. Yeah, I get this question a lot. I I think a lot of people forget that when you were eight, nine, or 10, you know, you really were like a little person. Your mind was fully, fairly developed. And I think sometimes we forget that kids can, can handle that spookiness and they can handle the nuance. And I think kids, um, a lot of people want to shelter kids because they, they feel like they're not ready for certain topics, but a lot of kids are already living these kind of scenarios in the real world. I, I think that for one of the hallmarks of middle grade fiction is hope. So I think for spooky kind of fiction or even kind of realistic fiction that handles tough subjects, I think having that light and that hope for the kids is is what really is um, probably the best thing for middle grade fiction. You have to have that balance between the light and the dark. Well, I love that. For those who are familiar with Eden's Everdark, do you wanna give it a little pitch? Oh, yes. Um, I, I always call Eden's Everdark sort of like my middle grade Southern Gothic. It's a mixture of different genres. It's, it's mystery, it's dark fantasy, it has some horror elements in it, but ultimately it's a story about grief. Um, it centers around Eden who has lost her mother and she is going to visit her ancestral home where her mother was born um, off the Sea Islands of Georgia, off the coast of Georgia. And while she's there, she finds her mother's sketchbook that has some very creepy drawings in it. And then she follows a black cat into a different world, a world of eternal night. And she meets the witch and the witch wants her to make her an internal daughter of hers and has to figure out a way to make it back to the world of living. Wow. Ooh, fun. Wow. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, the Witch of Everdark was such a fun character to 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 write. She's very beautiful, very terrifying, mm-hmm. and she has lots of reasons to be the way she is. It's a great combination, beautiful that. and terrifying. Yeah. And we love an antagonist with like good motivation, good reason. It's like she's got a yeah. point. Exactly. She yeah. has points. Yeah. <laughs> points are made. Evil, <laughs> yeah, she has very good reasons to be. So yeah, I I think I I think the best way to describe it is the Southern Gothic. Um. I don't know of a lot of middle grade fiction that has Southern Gothic. The first person that comes to mind, of course, is Eden Royce and um, Mm -hmm. Ronald L. Smith, who wrote Hoodoo. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to join them in this kind of genre of fantasy. Yeah, I loved Root Magic. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, And just going back to that, um, that question kind of about striking the balance, no spoilers, but were there things where you had, um, you know, submitted a version and your editor was like, make it creepier or maybe not so creepy or. 
did you walk for that this? line? Yeah, for Eden's Ever Dark, I really didn't have sort of that pushback um, because I actually think Laura is a little bit more um, subdued. It's more creepy than more like outright jump scares. But in my debut novel, Just South of Home, I did have conversations about, you know, whether the subject matter might have been too much for kids because um, we're talking about the horror of racial terrorism and how racial terrorism actually is the reason these ghosts are or here on this plane. So I think it just depends on the editor because like I just said, the kids can handle it. Okay, so our next question, are there any other genres or age categories that you're interested in exploring in the future? Um, I do love speculative fiction, that's my first love. I definitely will stay in that realm and I definitely will stay in middle grade fiction because that's also my first love. But I do want to go more into adult horror and maybe some literary fiction and mystery. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I have uh, an idea for adult horror that I really want to start working on. So I'm excited about that. Ooh, adult horror. It's like a jump from middle grade horror to adult. That, <laughs> yeah. that would be interesting. Right over YA. Yeah, yeah. So um, I do have some YA projects, but um, they're all speculative as well. Is your adult horror, could that also be classified as Southern Gothic or is it more just straight horror? I would actually call it a contemporary kind of Southern Gothic. It's going to be more contemporary um, time frame. So it just deals with, you know, generational kind of um, the sins of the father, basically. Speaking of Southern Gothic, in my writing, I usually try to incorporate soul food and Appalachian food throughout different stories is kind of like my I want that to be like my brand I want all of my mm-hmm. readers to eventually go back and be like oh all the way from the beginning they were writing about Appalachian food and Appalachian customs and stuff like that but you've talked about um, the importance and inspiration of food for your writing on social media can you talk a little more about that yeah first of all I love that I, I want that for you yes um Yeah, I think being raised in rural Georgia, you know, for me, food was always associated with celebration and it was associated with ceremony. Um, Also, the kitchen table for me was like a rite of passage, you know, being with my, I had four, I had two great grandmothers and four grandmothers. So I, at their kitchen table, that's how I learned how to cook life lessons and, and grown folks gossip <laughs> but other oh, than that, that I think that I know so I I love the the fact that you know food in special rule kind of black kind of upbringing it's like a centerpiece of celebration and you know southerners we always use food as a way to show love you know how if you go to a southern house the first thing we're going to give you is a plate so yes. you know <laughs> I do the same thing. I think other people's houses. Yeah. So I'll bring food for them. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> it's it's a way that we show love, especially Black Southerners. So I always like to put that in my um, writing. Um, food does have a, uh, a a major scene in, in Eden's Everdark, and it's and it's related around ceremony and celebration. Mm. Are there any like specific dishes that like you like to write about, or like types of dishes, like flavors, textures? Just curious. Believe it or not, I write a lot about sweet stuff. I write, and I think in my debut novel, I wrote a lot about red velvet cake, and I do not like red velvet cake at all. I don't like, either. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Not a Traitors. fan. I am not. A, I know I'm not a fan. I love it for you, 
but not <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't really like sweet stuff. I'm not a baker, but mm. I, I love things from the garden. One of the things that I really loved about growing up is being able to take things that we got from the garden and bring it into the kitchen and make delicious stuff out of it. So mm. anything from the garden is great. Also, you grew up around gardens too. Oh That's yeah. Cool. I'm a country. Yeah. I am a... <laughs> I am a, when I say I'm from the, from the country, I am from the country. (laughs) My mom, my grandma, my grandpa, they all had gardens and Mm -hmm. I do, I don't know how to, I can't keep a succulent alive. (laughs) Do you have a garden now? I don't have a garden now, but on my grandmother's land, there is a massive garden. I haven't been down there to see it, but, Mm -hmm. um, I just don't have the time, but I would love Mm -hmm. to have, I would love to have a garden. I would love that. Yeah. Well, in addition to your novels, you've also contributed to and edited short story anthologies. So what do you like about short fiction compared to the longer form? I, I'm asking this selfishly because I, uh, I'm in a writing workshop right now where I'm generating a lot of short fiction and it's like, I cannot crack it. Like I've written, you know, two, I would say like decent novels at this point, not a ton, but short uh, they fiction, were something about short novels. fiction. Oh, thank They're you. <laughs> They're uh, there's just something about short fiction that's kind of hard to unlock. You're not imagining things. Short fiction is very hard to write. Yeah. I'm a novelist by trade, so I tend to like the novel form, but short stories, I do like them, but they're very challenging to do. Um, I'm actually working on a short story right now, and it's it's very hard because you have to do like a snapshot of time. You know, I always think of a short story as a snapshot of a life or character or situation um so being if you're like me and you're a novelist you know after 20 pages you're just getting started yeah <laughs> for novels you know you're either almost done for a short novel like a 5,000 word novel and even for a novella even even that is still kind of short so mm-hmm. it's just a challenge but they're very hard to write but one thing I do like about anthologies is that as a reader is that you get a chance it's like a potluck of voices and you get to see all the different styles of each author and each contributor and how they, if the anthology has a theme, you get to see how they riff on the theme. Um, I know for Cool Awkward Black, you know, we have 18 different stories and they're all based on, you know, the Black geekdom theme, the fandom, you know, all that kind of thing. And, and you get to see how each of the contributors bring their own flavor. And even what I like about short stories, it gives you a a chance to do something outside of your what you're known for like your genre or your category Mm -hmm. but it's it's hard so you're not imagining it it's (laughs) very hard to do I've kind of given up on short fiction I I I don't know (laughs) it's almost like you have to be like so intentional and like it's like the craft is so different and with with novels you can breathe more and like Mm -hmm. you can you can. I think the key, what helps me when it, when it comes to short stories for me is to concentrate on a very close-ended point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I write in scenes anyway, so I try to, if I'm going to write, like the, the Star Wars story that I wrote that came out in um, June, I really concentrated on one moment in time. And I think if you like restrict the time frame or restrict the emotion or the characters I think it helps a lot I actually like to think about novels as like you're sitting down at a restaurant and you're like digging in and you can have the full experience and then anthologies are more of a buffet and you just ah, kind of get to dance around and 
you know, try out new things, maybe or go to the ones that you like or like whatever. But the, mm. the, the mindset is different when you're writing them mm-hmm. similarly. And that I'm writing this short piece of like this, this little nugget of something that's really, really cool. But when you're writing a novel, you're like, okay, let me sit down and I have to think about character arcs over long periods of time. And like, it's just like a different process altogether. Yeah, that's a perfect example of it. It's exactly how it is. Just real quick, since you mentioned Cool Awkward Black and uh, yeah. uh, kind of the variety of like geekdom and fandom, uh, I'm, I'm curious if you have any fandoms that you would consider yourself uh, a member of. The one that I'm most known for is obviously Star Wars. I mean, I got to write Star Wars because I kept talking about it online. <laughs> and that's when the editor, like, do you, want to for, do you want to write for Star Wars? Yes, please. Amazing. Oh, so, um, yeah. But yeah, I am, I'm a heart stopper kind of fan too. I love those kids, mm-hmm. protect those kids at all costs. <laughs> and, um, but mostly Star Wars and anything fantasy based. I just watched Prey on Hulu, mm-hmm. um, Predator franchise. Oh, that mm-hmm. was so good. So I like anything with um, like a fantasy speculative science fiction bent. And I love mm-hmm. strong women. And mm-hmm. so you're going to get me with those kind of ingredients for sure. I just want to say that I also loved Prey. And mm. uh, the lead actress, Amber Midthunder, is also in Roswell, yes. New Mexico on the yes. CW, which I'm obsessed with, like, no lie. So, <laughs> no, she's she's excellent actress. I really liked she's seeing really her on the, on the screen. She was good. I've got to move that up on my to watch list. I'm too okay. much of a scaredy cat. <laughs> I can't hang. I can't hang. We know. That's okay. So our next question, do you practice self-care as an author? And if so, how do you fill the well? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've had to actually make myself um, balance. I've, I've been working on literally six projects in the last two years. It's been a lot, um, but I signed up for this. So I'm not going to complain about it. I find myself very lucky, mm-hmm. but I also find when I when I'm tag teaming these projects I have to make myself take a break I recently just took a week break between two projects I think it helps taking breaks between projects because it you, you you're a human you can only do so much and I feel like getting enough sleep is very important and at least um, trying your best to take some time off I don't think it's beneficial to try to write more than four hours a day I think I mean some mm-hmm. people can I personally can't but um, I think for me, just walking in nature, um, I know people who follow me on Instagram, I'm constantly going to this river in my neighborhood and just seeing the water and seeing turtles, sometimes seeing snakes, but you know, that's okay. But um, just being in nature and, and, and getting some sun, actually being outside um, helps a lot for me. And then also when you're on a break, just absorbing other types of media mm-hmm. um, other than books. I mean, movies are very good. Any other form of storytelling is, is good for the um, for author brain to, to absorb. Reading outside of your categories helps too. Um, I know when I'm drafting, I usually read a lot of adult fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So s- things like that are all helpful, I think. Do you have any examples of nonfiction that's informed your, your work? Um, I love reading about botany in particular. I think it's fascinating. And of course, I can't think of any of the books off the top of my head, but yeah. um, I do. <laughs> I to put do you on read, the spot. Yeah. Yeah. I do read a lot of natural science and I yeah. love astronomy. So um, I think some of those things 
because 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 I walk all the time and I I'm always walking them on trees and looking at leaves and mm. flowers I love mm-hmm. flowers so anything of that is it's, a, it's almost like a hobby for me so mm-hmm. I'm just learning things at the same time but I mostly like nature I like stuff that's earth-based believe it or not more than astronomy even though Saturn is my favorite planet and I love the new, oh, cool. um, the new ter- the new, the new telescope they have that has. Oh yeah. Annoying that was so yeah. Cool. yeah. So yeah, I'm, I really would love for one of those red spiral galaxies. I, I need a species to come get me so we can go. I'm ready. All of us. <laughs> Just take, <laughs> take us. Take us. <laughs> For a little while until, yeah. until the know. people down here on earth get their act together just right <laughs> yeah and i can come back out. later when yeah. y'all straighten it out down here yeah <laughs> but if you're but if you're here you can see their red spot galaxy if you're in the galaxy then you have to look at dusty earth well i can but you know, i have I to can... be a part of it though yeah it's my least favorite part yeah. about all of this is that i have to be a part of it oh <laughs> i don't want to don't leave you know, me maybe don't from leave afar you know, no. they always say living history, living in history is not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> living in historical moments. And we never, have been. I've never said mm-hmm. I have. to live in a historical moment. We have. So it's been rough, y'all. It has. Oh, speaking of, I wanted to talk about book Twitter. <laughs> speaking of rough. <laughs> speaking of rough. Speaking of that. Um, so it's been a lot of talk on book Twitter. I mean, just in mm-hmm. general, just because that's mm-hmm. full of the beast that it is. But about whether or not social media is a good use of time and how much visibility is necessary for traditionally published authors. And I would love to know what you suggest to newer authors, up and coming authors when it comes to branding. Yes. So um, I told y'all I had thoughts. Yep. We're ready. We're ready. (laughs) And I, and I do have thoughts. Um, But Twitter is interesting when I think I joined Twitter in, in 2009 and back then it was very different than what it is now. It, it was a place that you could go to actually talk to your authors that you loved. You could actually talk to them in real time. It was so mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. You could, you could live tweet shows, you could find author communities, you could find a critique partner. You could, it was really a place that you could foster a community. Um, some of the writers that I met on Twitter are some of my best friends today in real life. So it's a, it was a real thing. It was a real kind of opportunity. And unfortunately, you know, between 2006 and I think 2019, it sort of like all went to hell in handbasket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, and I think it's just the, just, just uh, the different things that were going on in the world. There were lots of awful things going on in the world. And, and, and that was a way to, to talk about it on, on the social media website. But I think as far as book Twitter, which I find is very interesting, um, for those of you who don't know, my background is in software development. And mm-hmm. I've been working with lately in the last two or three years, working specifically with artificial intelligence and natural language processing, which is NLP for short. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because with NLP, there's different types of sentiment. There's positive, negative, and neutral. And a, a lot of these AI um, NLP programs are in the algorithms and social media site, and they are driving the algorithm to keep users on the site um, for scrolling because they want the users to stay on the platform. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that the more negative your tone is for sentiment, the more interaction you get. I mean, I've even noticed when I tweet about something I'm popping off at the mouth, I get a mm-hmm. lot more traction. But if right. I'm talking about sipping coffee and writing, I don't get as much, which is fine. But I think 
aspiring writers need to know that you don't need to chase the algorithm because if you feel like you're going to build a brand and you need to have followers, then you're going to have to work with that algorithm, which means that you're probably going to have to be a lot more negative than you're a positive Mm -hmm. in order for people to see your tweets. Mm -hmm. And I think with book Twitter to be contrary, you know, to be always arguing and stuff that dries your tweet up and people see Mm -hmm. it and you get more interaction. So it's like, it's like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So I think that instead of chasing the algorithm, I would tell aspiring writers to chase the craft and get better with that. Because I think a lot of people see um, people on but Twitter with large followings and they feel like that's the way to get a book deal. Um, that's right. not. I've seen people with large followings publish a book and nothing really happens. <laughs> Their followers don't follow them to the bookstore. Mm-hmm. So you can't look at the following that a person has as an indicator of success, especially when it comes to book publishing, especially when it comes to traditional book publishing, because your readers are not on book Twitter. They're in the real world. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep remembering that. And I, and I feel like as far as a website, I think I wouldn't, I mean, unless you have something free, like a Tumblr or something, but until you get a book contract, I mean, paying web domain fees, I mean, you can do that and have like a landing page and about page, but I really don't think it's necessary, honestly, until you actually secure a book deal. Um, I do know a lot of agents look at your social media presence. So if you're constantly popping off at the mouth, that could be detrimental to you because they do search and they look at your social media presence. Um, but as far as building an author brand, you know, I tell authors all the time, it's like, I, I know that it feels like you need to have, you know, 10K people following you to feel important, but you really don't. Mm-hmm. All you really need is a good book. And I think sometimes you'll see people that have a book that speaks to readers, their, their follower account goes up automatically because people love the, the book and they want to know more, more about the author, mm-hmm. which is fine. And we love as authors, we love hearing, you know, from readers and, and hearing them talk about how they like our books. But for me personally, <laughs> my author brand is what I put on the page. My author brand is my books. And to me, I mean, I think my life is my life and my books are my books and I need to keep them separate, but that's just my opinion. I feel you. I feel you on that though. I feel so yeah, much of we, this. Yeah. We all do. Like ultimately to me, it feels like it's for the sake of peace, you know, because <laughs> yeah. social media doesn't seem to promote peace. No, <laughs> peace does well, not drive, drive profits. Media, you know, I find social media to be really, um, sometimes I'm like a hypocrite because I feel like the three of us met on social media mm-hmm. and you guys are my best friends. And so it's kind of like some really, really good things can come from social media, but just as easily something really, really bad can come from it. And then everything I mean, in between. Yeah. yeah. I mean, good things can, I mean, I, I think obviously there are some good things that can come from social media. I would just tell aspiring authors just to be very careful about when you're on these platforms and something quote unquote happens, the character of the day, the discourse Mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just better to read the mess and put it in your group chat instead of making a mistake and putting on Twitter. And, and you never know. I I have seen, and I'm sure you, you have as well. I have seen so many people and professionals, um, authors say something that they probably really didn't think anything of it and it has 
really snowballed into something they can no longer control. Mm-hmm. And it's, just, it's, it's like that split second of hitting send mm-hmm. can really, so, I mean, I think there's still pockets of community out here on book Twitter. Um, but Twitter is, is full of people whose whole, whose whole goal was to talk about books they love. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then again, I have to tell people, and I tell people this all the time, you're dealing with tech companies who want to keep you on their platforms for as long as possible. And their goal is to show you mess so you can keep <laughs> scrolling mm-hmm. and they can keep making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that resonates. Not only are we on social media and Twitter as like people building a platform or people that have accounts, but you know, we follow people, we like tweets. And so if you think about what what motivates you to follow someone after you see a tweet of theirs that you like, if you're attracting somebody on Twitter because you're being negative or like popping off about something, like is that the kind of energy you want to attract? You want like, do you want someone to follow you because of that? Because the kind yeah. of person who's attracted to that, you know, it just it just it becomes something that you can't control very quickly, and you, you see so many people get devoured by what they created, right? <laughs> like you, you know, you can't really control. Um, the beast that is the algorithm and the like rage machine for that long before it, it comes for you too. So yeah, it's a whole mess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just say for, for aspiring writers, the best thing to do is, you know, to talk about the things that you love to do, talk about the books that you love and you can organically kind of create a following. I, I believe in energy like, you know, like, likes, like, and I think if you, if you are talking about things that you truly care about, you mm-hmm. will find the people that you, that you have things in common with. But again, I tell people all the time, what matters most is what you're doing in the real world. And that includes learning how to create stories and learn the craft, because if an opportunity comes to you, um, whether it's on social media or in another way, and you're not ready because your craft's not quite there, mm. that's an opportunity that, you, that you've lost, mm. you know? And 500 diehard fans is better than like 10,000 like mediocre, like mess following <laughs> followers mediocre. anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> mediocre. Absolutely. They don't love you. No, they love the mess. Mm-hmm. He's Jose Loyal. <laughs> True that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have one more like, wrap-up question for you. Um, so if the publishing gods could grant you one wish, what would it be? You know, this is a really good question. And I did, I, I, I've been thinking about this. And, you know, with everything going on right now with, with um, just life and in this, in, this, in this whole two or three years, and, and even um, as far as back as 2014, when We Need Diverse Books finally came to be, um, I think I just want equity. I, I, want, I want real equity, not performative equity, not play play <laughs> equity, but like real equity for BIPOC authors. I want pay equity for professional um, publishing professionals. I would love to have equal access for everyone, especially BIPOC and queer authors, because I, I think it's so hard. The roadblocks are still here. And I would love to have that kind of equity and access so that we can get the books out, you know, to have the impact that they deserve. Wow, that probably sums it all up, doesn't it? Equity. Mm-hmm. Equity. Not that is the wish. Because that solves so many issues. Right. So <laughs> many know? other things go away. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that if you look at publishing, I started writing for publication way back in 2006. And 
from 2006 to 2014, it was very hard for Black authors to get published. It was, mm-hmm. it was very hard. And even now it's a little bit better, but if you look at the early aughts and now, it is just seeing all the Black like characters on covers mm-hmm. is amazing. I, I think people need to understand that we have done a lot in the last, you know, 10, five to 10 years, mm-hmm. but there's still so much more that we could do. Mm-hmm. And that's my hope for us to keep to keep this going because we don't need just one or two black authors. Mm-hmm. We need we need as many as possible. And it's not a situation where one black author gets everything. I think all black authors, we can all have things together. People can read more than one book. And the more books we have out there, the better it is for everyone. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yep. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for joining us today. Um, where can our listeners find you? My website is actually karen-strong. Um, that's where you can find all my books and where I'm going to be. And then on Twitter and Instagram, I'm on Karen Musings. That's K-A-R-E-N and M-U-S-I-N-G-S, Karen Musings, where I talk about what I'm working on. I literally have written two books on Twitter as far as um, status updates, Eden's <laughs> Ever Dark and this book that's coming out in fall of 2023. Mm-hmm. So if you like learning about process and stuff like that, Twitter is where I usually do that. And then on Instagram, I post, I post, but not as much. So those are the places you can find me. I love your tweets. They keep me, I'm like, Karen's working. I got to get to work. Like, she's, <laughs> she's up. She's got her coffee brewing. Like it's, it's time to do this. I know I do it more for myself, but I think it helps to see someone do it in real time. Yeah. All the way through from the idea to the actual complete completion. It helps. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to talk to you. Thank you, Karen. Yeah. Thank you. Y'all are so welcome. It's been my pleasure.